Welcome back to the Rock God of Podcasting. I am Charles McFall, the titular hero of this saga. I got to say tit in there, and it was awesome. <laughs> That's this kind of show. That's what we're going to do. First, before we get started, I always try to take care of a few things. This show is all about Ask Me Anything, and I'll give you an hour of entertainment and storytelling, usually hitting two or three different areas in life. Sometimes you learn something. Sometimes you just laugh. Sometimes you might be a little shocked, but... No matter how you cut it, it's worth listening to. And this week, we've got a great question coming in. But before that, I am wrapping up. I always like to say thank you. Uh, And this is my opportunity because it's my show to say thank you about things. And today, my voice actually might sound different because I actually retooled it with uh, my mixer and different things. I re-EQ'd it because I have these amazing Sennheiser studio monitoring headphones that cut out everything else and give me a better range of hearing things. And these are amazing, amazing headphones. And a great big thanks to Ricky Mordant, who has sent those to me. He sent them for my birthday, and I really much, I really do appreciate it. And it will change the game and how I do things. It's, they sound so good. And this is the first time I've had an opportunity to record with them since I received them. So I wanted to say big thank you for that. Also, here's how you get your questions in. Here's how you interact with me. Facebook.com forward slash Rock Out of Podcasting. Twitter's at Rock Out of Pod. The email, because, you know, I have so many emails that track. I'm just going to use my standard favorite, bearcrawling at gmail.com. That's a story to tell on the show one time, the rise and fall of the Bear Crawling Nation and how that got me my start in podcasting. But it's bearcrawling with a G at gmail.com and you can send those emails in and the last thing the way best the last other way to get to me then is to go to speak pipe you've heard a few of those played that is on rockgodofpodcasting.com there's a tab and you can click it any device with a microphone allow the microphone and boom you get to record a question. I look forward to hearing from you. You've had some great questions come in through SpeakPipe and through email. You, Everybody listening and submitting, you're asking some amazing things, and I appreciate it. So now Mike is going to ask, tell me what question is for today. Man, this week's question comes from somebody that we love, Laura DePooter, and she wants to know, how has your EMT background affected your life as a parent? And have your parenting skills come into play uh, in your life as an EMT? That's an interesting question. That's definitely, I'm not even sure where to go with that first uh, because there's so many different things to to take. I think to answer the parenting side of it, it definitely helped me be a calmer parent. I'm not, I I hesitate to say better, but definitely a calmer one. And honestly, this is going to play into another show that we did already about doctors and controlling your doctors. You're going to hear a little bit of that story and insurance. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. But as far as parenting skills, being a paramedic, so there are definitely different levels, but the basic universal different levels, there's an EMT, which is the levels below paramedic. EMT stands for emergency medical technician okay so it actually covers everybody who's out in the field as opposed to being in the er or elsewhere it's the the first responders the the ambulance people those kind of things some places recognize an emt first responder level which is an official emt level sometimes first responders are just a special certification to themselves you know it's they get the basic of basic training as it's fairly short but they do get certified to go out and help and then they they go help and and first responders in that case are always volunteers and they're always appreciated that being aside emt typically refers to the lesser level the the ah, it's not a good way to put it a nurse is not lesser than a doctor a nurse is just a lower level of training a different level of training than a doctor that is not as high right? Doesn't as, it's not as involved. So that's what EMT is to paramedic. Now, technically it's EMT dash P, which is paramedic. And in Georgia B it's changed somewhat. I'm learning that through the show I do with Georgia Institute of EMS. I'm, I'm hired. I was hired to do a show with them and I love doing that every Thursday live on Facebook, but there's EMT dash I when I was in there. And that was the, the lower level. We refer to it as an EMT and as a paramedic. So paramedic really played in because I had to always be calm. I'm a poker player. I love poker. I'm an amateur poker player. I actually did make some decent money at it for a little while. Uh, Never enough to try to go to the big shows and, okay, using terms that people don't understand. So the big dance is the World Series of Poker. 
and it's seven days of pretty much nonstop poker. I'm, I'm sure they have some breaks in there somewhere at different round levels, but basically it's you go away from the table and your money stays there and you sleep and then you come back as fast as you can and your money's lower because the pot takes out of it every time. But basically you ought to fold. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I am. I'm a poker player. I love playing poker, but that's it plays into my poker face. Okay, so I know how to stay calm in situations. And part of the reality is of staying calm is knowing there's nothing to freak out about. So when something happens, the bottom line, if somebody tells you they can't breathe, they can breathe. Okay, they feel panic or they feel like something's going on, but they can breathe. The number one thing I remember about CPR, about uh, the Heimlich maneuver, is as as long as they're moving air, you do nothing. It's when they stop moving air that you do something for two reasons. One is possibly they're just panicking. Two is if air is moving around the object, you can't use air to force the object out. It doesn't work that way. So if you make the seal, right, it blocks the airway. Then you can do the maneuver, which pushes a big, huge blast of air at it. Because it's sealed, it hits it all at once, boom, out it goes. So I've learned just to calm people down and never get caught up in their anxiety. Oh, my, I'm having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. I need you to calm down. I need you to talk to me. I have some questions I have to ask you that are medical questions. So that really played in to realizing what was real and what wasn't. And even when it was real, I had a guy in front of me. When the dispatch, when the radio went off and I was told to go to this guy's house, in the background, they had the, the phone call on speakerphone. Right, because uh, they'll do that. They'll keep the phone call on the line while they dispatch the ambulance. And he was having difficulty in breathing, and they're telling me his history of how he'd been let out of the hospital earlier that day, that day with some cough-related illness. I have to stay fairly general on these things because of laws. Uh, but you could hear him coughing in the background. I'm like, all right, he's got chest pain. Get that. You know, he has a reason to have it. We'll go check him out. We'll do what we do. And I get there to his place of residence, and he's sitting there, and he's like, man, he's still coughing inside the the his house and he's talking about how his chest hurts and i'm I'm, there's certain things i can do to help me figure out if it's a heart attack type chest pain or if it's related to the cough because your chest will hurt if you cough a lot and he said yes that but it's a little different and as i'm starting to ask him questions now keep in mind i've been asleep for maybe 45 minutes an hour just enough to get groggy and so i'm kind of walking in with one eye open not literally but that's what it felt like it felt like i just got one eye open like dude what's going on and we walk in with a jump kit which is all of our basic medical stuff and the firefighters are standing at the door and he's talking to me about his chest and something i don't know something triggered i can't remember that clearly about it but i asked the firefighters hey go ahead and get the stretcher so they were already at the truck and starting to head back our way with the stretcher and this dude all of a sudden had a seizure it fell over, and immediately both eyes opened up is what it felt like. Even though I know both eyes were open, it felt like one was closed. Now, okay, I'm awake. And I look at his fiance. I'm like, uh, does he have seizures? She's like, nope, he's never had one. Uh, oh, shit. In my mind, oh, shit, it is time to go because that means he's having a heart attack. That is a what's called a V-fib seizure. Uh, that's, that's a true heart attack when your ventricles, which is the V in V-fib, are shaking. But at, at no point in this story did i freak out did i panic i moved with alacrity as Morden has taught me that word <laughs> I, I moved with a purpose and basically my partner and i scooped him up he was small enough that we didn't even let the tra- the, the stretcher come inside i was like nope here you go let's get to the truck we we did the procedures blah 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 but my point is even when it's real and it's sudden because everything pointed to the guy had a major chest cough thing going on big time and, and it was an actual sickness i just don't want to say what the sickness was there's no way more than likely you're going to listen to this and identify who it was but if you can then i get in trouble and blah 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 so he had a a diagnosed sickness in his chest for coughing the coughing will absolutely make you hurt the coughing sounded like one of those horrible death rattle coughs that people get when they have this certain sicknesses in their chest everything pointed to he had just been in the hospital that morning for the same thing they diagnosed him it just wasn't going away i'm in my mind walking in nonplussed right going all right you know yeah you're you're coughing it won't go away it is midnight so there's no doctor you can call they don't give you pain medicine for that kind of illness at all so yeah i'll put you on my stretcher we'll give you a little bit of oxygen we'll take you to the hospital no big deal that's how i went in and then it turned into nope this is a big deal let's get this done that's one of the few times i actually can actually no that's the only time i actually converted somebody and converted means they're doing one thing with their heart rhythm that's bad 
and you do the steps you have to do to get it fixed, and it comes back to a regular heart rhythm. Now, I can't remember what happened to him after a few days after the hospital, but we got in there, and we, we had saved his life. My point is that I stayed calm. I never went, oh, my God, freaked out. That played into definitely into my parenting to where I still had some natural parent moments I'm going to tell you about here in a minute uh, that would have been worse without my paramedic training and my paramedic experience. And I helped my wife be calm because she didn't have the same experiences I had. She actually was around the kids more, so you could say she's more attached than I was. However you want to say it, she was close to the situation. She would always lean on me and what I thought with the kids. And there's there's a few stories I want to tell about that. (laughs) Anytime, so Oakland. Oakland's our firstborn son. And, of course, we focused on him. And the first time he ever really got sick, sick, I guess it was just a season, is one of the first times we ever went back to Stone Mountain for Christmas Town. I think my wife had gone before. I can't remember if I'd ever been. I I don't exactly remember how we experienced it before we had a child, but we decided to go as a small family, right? The three of us. He's not, he's maybe a year, year and a half old at most at this point. Because I'm pretty sure Aaron was not pregnant. So it was probably his first Christmas, actually, which would make him about eight months to nine months old. And of course, we're dressed for the weather. It's cold outside and he's, he's fine. He's loving it. We still don't know what caused it, but he, he started coughing on the way home. Aaron's like, oh, what's that? And like, you know, whatever. He's just coughing, this and that and the other. And we get him home. We put him in bed. And through the walls, the cough's getting worse. And now there are certain things in medicine, what, until you experience them, you can only imagine them. And there are certain things with little kids that are really bad, especially when it comes to a cough. They're very limited. They're somewhat rare. But I had to learn about it as a paramedic because if it happens, I have to take care of it because the kid could die. So immediately being the the new parent that I am, I don't show my wife this, right? I had the poker face on. But I in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, is it, is it this, this horrible thing? And I'm listening to the cough. And, of course, I have a stethoscope on me at all times. Not literally all times, but I usually have one in my car or my kit that I keep around, whatever. Back then, I'm listening to the cough and go, she's worrying about it. And that's fine. It's, it's, it was right. It was fine. But she's not sure what to do being the new parent until she leans on me. And, and I go in and he's coughing and I take my cystoscope and I listen. It's, it's bad. It's a bad cough. It's like, no, this is not a, oh, he's got a little chest cold and go away. This is... I don't know what the hell this is. We need to we need to go. So, but instead of doing the paramedic and freaking out, you know, I didn't freak out. I didn't do anything. I didn't say, oh, we need to go. I just said, all right, you know what? Let's go ahead and get dressed and go to the ER. And it's, I don't know, closer to midnight. That freaked her out <laughs> because I'm the guy who hates doctors. Now, I don't hate doctors in the sense of, oh, I hate doctors. Being in medicine, especially emergency medicine, you see people go to doctors all the time for nothing. And they call 911 for bullshit and i hate to be the burden on the system that's part of my psyche that's part of who i am and i was still really damaged at this time anyway but it doesn't matter but also i see a ton of different doctors and i see some good some bad and i know you take your well, not bad in the sense of they they mess up but you're just an asshole or you overdo everything to me that's a bad doctor let's do a million tests see what sticks to the wall now be a doctor go i think it's probably this i'm gonna test this i might do a, a few peripheral tests right tests that touch this one test just to be sure but i think it's this i'm gonna look at this well there's doctors who like uh they they instill no confidence in me because they act like they don't know what they're doing so they'll do a thousand tests and oh let's see well we can't rule oh shut up oh my god so that's my quote unquote i i don't like doctors thing and i can self-medicate for the most part i can self-diagnose because i'm paramedic and i'm aware of my situations and a lot of paramedics do that sometimes we mess up but I, I definitely don't want to just run to a doctor. So when I told her, okay, it's at night. It's a Sunday night. It's a weekend. So I said, well, we have to go to the ER. Well, I freaked her out a little bit, and I calmed her down because I'm the guy who doesn't want to do that. Well, sure enough, we go. He had some kind of basically situational asthma. It, it's something in the night air triggered something else, and it was fine. He got some some medication. You know, He got a, a breathing treatment at the hospital. He was fine. They made sure nothing else was going on. We followed up with the pediatrician. So that is kind of how medicine definitely played into me as a parent with those kind of situations. I've heard, though, I had some paramedic friends of mine that had a, a child, right? It's their first child. 
eating Cheerios. And the child, according to them, the child started choking, but that's really hard to do with Cheerios. But they started choking. Well, instead of being what I was, they openly told the story of just snatching their kid up and freaking out and start smacking them on the back. Cause that's how you do a Heimlich maneuver on a, a small child is smack them on the back and start smacking them on the back. I was like, why didn't you give her a second? This she's coughing, right? She's moving air. Why didn't you? It doesn't work that way for all people is all I'm saying. Some of the other things that, that calmness, definitely calmness in a situation, reading a situation, actually in my mind, doing the math is not the right work. It's not actual numbers, but basically doing the math going, does this line up with what I've learned about medicine? Is everything playing into that? How does that play into you know this situation? That has been a huge part of, of my parenting process on the physical level. The other thing it did play into, I really loved is when Oakland was growing up and, and Crosby was still a baby, but she hadn't taken her first steps yet. I was, I was always home, right? So my schedule for EMS was one day on, two days off. If you don't really comprehend what that means, because we all filter things through our own experiences, you work a day and you might have a day off with it. For you, that's eight hours. No, 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 no. I mean a literal day. I'd be in on the truck at 9 a.m., I would stay there for 24 hours, and at 9 a.m. the next day, I would get off work, and I would go home. Well, he had that. And, of course, he could come visit me at the fire station or the EMS station, where I, wherever I was, and we'd visit. But I'd have two whole days to be home. And I'm very much an involved father. I'm very much an involved parent. And so I would always be wanting to do things with him, always be helping him out. I always wanted Aaron to be able to sleep, so I'd be up in the mornings with him when he got up because he couldn't work the TV, and I'd basically go back to sleep on the couch depending on what was going on. We had all these moments in life together. Got to be there for his first steps. Got to be there for his first words. We worked together. We got to do a lot with him. As I approached Crosby being born, I was having a lot of difficulty making my bills. We'd already filed bankruptcy for the first time when Oakland, shortly after he was born. We filed bankruptcy. Little side note, that was also the time uh, Aaron was pregnant with him. There was some big storm. All the power went out. We had no phones that worked at the house. We had Nextels at the time, which were not picking up very well where we were. So for, and I was on a truck for 48 hours, not in that county. And a big ice storm came through. So it wasn't like, hey, I need to go home and check on my family. There was just no communication, which sucked freaked her out so we had learned that verizon actually covered our house very well we had people who had the phones that worked at our house and ours didn't roughly around aaron's birthday which is almost a month not quite a month before oakland was born we switched to verizon we've been there ever since so there's a little side note that doesn't really matter <laughs> anyway i was there for all these things with him but we did end up filing bankruptcy at a point i gave up my big you know look at me truck that i had Actually, I did love. It was a Dodge Ram 1500. I'd looked at it for a long time. So, you know, side note here, okay? You can focus. This is my life. And there's certain things you focus on it, you'll go to it. Sure, that's a human thing. But there's something that triggers in my life that I can look at something. It'll just it'll just stick with me. And I look at it and go, you know, I think that would be really, really great. I think that would really, really work for me. Ultimately, it does. And for some reason, the Dodge Ram, maybe it's from commercials. I don't know what made me look at it and go, I really want a Dodge Ram. Dude, I watched The Matrix, and there's a line in The Matrix. It's a throwaway line. They're driving through the first time Neo's in The Matrix, and they pass a Chinese restaurant. He goes, oh, I know that restaurant. They got good noodles. That stuck with me. A year, maybe not even a year later, I decided to try lo mein noodles. One of my favorite things to have with Chinese food, period. Lo mein noodles. Got that just because he said the line. They have great noodles. Things happen. And the Dodge Ram 1500, I had stared at it for a long time on TV. Ended up buying it. And I had a Ford F-150 before that. And the Ford F-150, didn't like it. I mean, I liked it while I drove it, but it's like, eh, it's all right. And sure enough, I get into the Ram, and it just was smoother. It was better. Loved it. Everything fit. And that's how things happen in my life. I can go, man, that's, that's going to work for me. And it does. So I gave up that truck. Though in the bankruptcy, blah, blah, blah. We go on and I'm still working. I've changed jobs. I've gotten closer to the house. I've reduced my bills. Uh, well, obviously through the bankruptcy, but also through going through Dave Ramsey and being smart about things. But the Dave Ramsey thing is you need a bigger shovel, right? If you're not getting out of debt fast enough. And I was still struggling to put food on the table. And along comes my daughter. And this is 
18 months Oakland was uh, because we we know basic the basic math of it all is that essentially he was 18 months old when she was born and I go on family leave as I do I try to take off as much time as possible to stay home and be with the baby and be with Aaron and help with the family and so on and so forth and during that time I knew I had to get a new job so I did and uh, ended up going back to work and putting in my notice and then shifting to a job in an office that paid a lot more money than I had been making before and paid it steady. So here's the other thing that EMS played into my parenting. I was a bad parent for being sticking with it for so long because of my reasons, because of my reasons, my reasons were I was at a station that was easy to work at. We didn't get a ton of calls. I could play my video games right all day long. I could take naps, which helped out greatly after I took about a month to six weeks off when Oakland was born. And so going back to work, we're still tired. He's still not sleeping through the night, right? He's still a baby and needing attention. So I'm staying you know, up with the baby, this and that, as much as I can. Because I go into work, check off my truck, wash it, whatever, make sure we're good for today. And then I go into my bunk room, shut the door, and I sleep. Whereas Aaron would still only be able to take naps when he took naps. So it, it was a fair enough reason to be there. But I stuck around longer than I should because I wasn't making enough money. That was just the bottom line. I wasn't making enough money to put food on the table for my family. I was making too much money for food stamps, apparently, which after going through the process now, I, I, I just wonder if they weren't just some backwood hicks that were screwing me over. But that's neither here nor there. I ended up, when Crosby came along, I said, I have to do what's right for my family. I'm just going to put stuff out there, see what sticks you know like those doctors do <laughs> and ended up getting an office job now tell tell all that story to say i didn't get to see crosby's first steps i didn't get to hear or, or be around for a lot of the first with her and i hated it because i was so involved in oakland's life and i got to be there for everything in fact it hurt my wife's feelings which i couldn't help i was proud father about it and i'm like i'm sorry it sucks for you but i love it i was around oakland so much and being the paramedic and every time he got hurt i was there for him and helping him out and it was just my nature of doing things that when he was hurt he wanted me instead of his mama and that made me happy <laughs> of course i hurt her feelings because she wants to be wanted by everybody well she got the rest of the kids but you know she didn't know that at the time but that was the thing crosby always wanted her mom instead you know because that was who was around all the time I didn't have as, as an, uh, big an understanding of how she worked as I did with uh, Oakland because I wasn't around all the time. So being a paramedic played into me being a better part of their lives, and I got to do that, and I missed it. But the upside is, looking forward, you know, or actually, I guess at this point, looking back over the last 11 years, because my son's coming up on 12 in the spring, I can see the path I took. So I stayed with EMS long enough to really get my foot in the door with podcasting. That's where I started doing podcasting, producing segments for other people. Then I started my own show. started my own show before Oakland was born because we talked about it on the show a lot. I actually talked about doing a live broadcast of it, which never happened because people didn't want that because they didn't trust me because people are stupid. You should know I know what the fuck I'm doing. Side point for both Oakland and Crosby, okay? I was, uh, I think it's for both of them. But at least one of them, I was talking about, I was doing a live show and I was doing well with a live show. And like, I want to do a live broadcast from the hospital. Like we're media people, you know? Now I know not to put my wife's vag up on the internet. All right. You're not going to have to see that. I know some people don't want to watch a live birth. It's your choice not to tune in. It was my dumb ass for not doing it. But I thought it was great. My shows are always about experience. And here's a live experience you can have with me as I'm having it. My firstborn son's coming into the world. Gah! You know, or and, and it might have been Crosby. I can't remember which baby it was, but it was definitely one of them. I was like, I want to do this. And everybody was like, no, just be with your wife. No, you shouldn't do that. No. And I was a dumbass who listened. Here's why I'm actually agitated about that right now. Because this past year, within this last physical 12 months i don't remember it's late 2015 or early 2016 some father did that basically was trying to live stream it for family who couldn't be there and didn't code it right so it was public and it went out to the world and it went fucking viral yeah motherfuckers i'm 10 years ahead of that bullshit and you think that shit's great and you wanted to shit on me ah <laughs> but that's <laughs> 
Oh, that's just me being at shit going, why didn't I believe in myself? I knew what the fuck I was doing. I knew that I should have just done what I was supposed to do. And anyway, it doesn't matter. I was there. It was, you know, we have video of it and all this other stuff. And you just didn't get to share on it. So it's your loss. But I'm a goddamn media genius. That's all I'm saying. That being aside, you know, I, I, I did lose what what I thought I wanted with the kids was this time right now and I wanted to play my games and, and wanted to do this. But as I did what was right, I really want my family to succeed. Putting food on the table, having a steady paycheck. Oh, here's what you don't understand about a steady paycheck. In EMS, right, emergency medical systems, that's the ambulance basically, you get paid. Well, okay, if you get paid every two weeks, the way our schedule, one day off, two days on, the way it falls is, one two-week paycheck is 60-some-odd hours, right, the way it works out. So you get 20 hours of overtime. But that's all compensated for, by the way, so don't be like, oh, wow, that's good money. No, I never made, I never on an ambulance made more than $30,000 a year for the 10 years I was on an ambulance. Never made more than 30000 Could not break that seal to save my life. Couldn't do it. Because they adjust. You get paid less because they adjust for the fact you're going to get overtime. Now, here's the kicker. So, one check, 60 hours. No, per week. Sorry, it'd be 120 hours. This is a two-week period. So, one check, 120 hours. Check number two, 120 hours. Check number three, 96 hours. Because the way the cycle fell, in every third pay period, you worked one whole shift less. So, it'd be... It'd be roughly, let's say, six shifts, six shifts, and then five shifts in a pay period. So every third check, we get fucked because of the cycle. Because you would lose, you would lose a lot of money in losing those hours. And a lot of people make it up with second jobs. I imagine, I imagine with Dave Ramsey had a really had a, a super hard focus. I probably could have budgeted for that, and I just wasn't grasping those concepts. But it would hurt us. It would hurt us to make go, we're making our bills barely. We're making our bills barely. This paycheck, we're not making our bills at all. It leaves us short. It, it was a tough, tough, tough time. And that definitely played That definitely played into it. So that's why I decided to get a new job. Now, here's the thing. I went and did, I, I, I went and did what I hated. You know, said I never wanted to do, which would be in an office. And I learned to get my head out of my ass and stop hating on something that allows me to do what I do. I ended up getting that particular office job ran for seven years five of those were in an office where i got to bring podcasting back i got to learn a whole lot of stuff about internet and how things work and how to you it allowed me to make my mistakes in podcasting it allowed me to be on the cutting edge of podcasting because i had a decent job that not only supported me gave me money to play with and i could buy equipment that other people couldn't buy and i could do things that other people couldn't do three years of that was at home working for the exact same company, which allowed me to build my empire, to expand it, to get clients, to be able to learn how to take meetings and schedule things and not have that, well, I can't because I work a real job. And no, I'm at home, so I can take 10, 20, 30 minutes to talk to you while I'm still working on other stuff because I don't have to be around other people and you know, so on and so forth. The path I ultimately took got me to exactly where I wanted to be, where I'm at home with my kids a whole lot more. And while I'm not being a paramedic on the truck, I'm doing a show as a former paramedic now that's paying me and paying me well. And I love it. So my history of all that, blah. I know that's not exactly how parenting worked and, and how blah, blah, blah. It was all part of the story. So some of the stories before I go on to how parenting affected my medicine, some of the things with my wife that drove me absolutely crazy. Crazy. Oh, my God. So... <laughs> There are two major stories with an ambulance involved that my or, or lack thereof that drove me crazy. So the first one, I think it was with Oakland, and I, yeah, it was with Oakland. I was actively still pursuing being in a band, and I'd found bandmates up an hour and a half, to almost two hours away from me, and we had this practice set. And I, I want to get distracted and talk about how bullshit the music was, and I, I'm gonna stay away from that. But it, just for the record, it was bullshit. So <laughs> I, I had just gotten up there. I'd driven, in, like, let's just say, an hour and a half away from my house. I had just gotten up there, and I get a frantic call. Uh, while we're waiting on the other band members to show up, I get a frantic call from my wife saying that Oakland's fallen off the bed. 
And he was crying. Now he's not crying. And she's freaking the fuck out. And she thinks he's got a head injury. So for your information, one of the standard ways to absolutely instantly know there's a head injury, especially in a kid, is if they cry and then they calm down and then they cry again. And there's no real reason for it. And it's a cycle. Without experiencing it, though, you don't know how it's supposed to work. So she's frantically call. She calls me an hour and a half away. I need you to come home. I'm an hour and a half away. And I tell her, I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? I don't know. I just need you. I'm like, I'm hanging up. I'm going to call the ambulance. I said, you call 911 because if this is a head injury, you've got to have somebody there now. And the paramedics are five minutes away. I mean, the station was walkable from my house. And I said, call. I'm going to call them and let them know what's going on because we all know everybody's address. If you live in the county as a paramedic, as somebody who works together, we know your, your home address. Because you need to. It, it changes the game if you walk in and you're surprised. Oh, shit, this is my coworker, and this is their family. You know, and it throws you off, so you need to be prepared for that. So she called 911. I called the station. Uh, my buddy was on. It's like, look. And I was, again, this paramedic played in. I said, I don't think it's much. I think my wife's overreacting from what she described. But you're about to hear the tones drop for my address. I'm not there. I, what I need from you is just to go in, do your job, do do whatever you're going to do, period, as a paramedic. But if you could call me and let me know, I'm on my way home. And then I can, you know, even if she doesn't believe you, I can, because she's freaking out, I can explain it to her. It's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks for the heads up. And sure enough, and as I'm on the phone, the tones drop. And, and so they go over there and I'm on my way home and I'm freaking out too. I started to speed, but I realized... No matter how fast I go, I'm over an hour away from the house. There's nothing I can do. And I slowed myself down and, and chilled out. And sure enough, they called me back and said, yeah, he's fine. He's actually up and playing now, this and that and the other. Uh, we'll take him to the hospital if you want. You know, she's not sure what to do. I was like, no, no, no it's fine. You know, we, and we taught paramedic to paramedic. And I was like, no, it's cool. I trust you. I trust you did the medicine right. No worries. You know, get the refusal signed. And I talked to her. She was cool with that. And sure enough, I got home, he's fine. Now, just because I want to tell you the difference in a head injury, I don't know what she saw in him. You know, she thought he was trying to pass out. And the thing with little kids, and this was our only child at the time, the thing with little children is they can cry themselves to pass out. They can, when babies cry, and he wasn't a baby, I mean, he wasn't walking, he wasn't a toddler at all. He, he, I don't even think he was crawling at the time. But when babies cry, their whole body clamps down, which can clamp down on the, the oxygen-delivering blood that flows through them. And kind of pass them out. It's, a, it's just a defense mechanism that the body has. And I think maybe he had done that. And so, But here's with a real head injury, because I had one in a child. God damn, man, this kid, no helmet, which pisses me off to no end. And I've told my kids, I don't, I don't give a shit what other people do. Helmets are not there because it's the law. Helmets are there because it's your head. Because everything can get fucked up right here. You can break your arm, you're fine. You can break... You can break your fucking ribs, and you're in a danger zone, but you're fine. You fucking break your head, you're not fine ever again. You're probably going to die, so you're going to wear a helmet. This kid wasn't wearing a helmet and should have been. and was jumping off a ramp and jumped into a brick mailbox headfirst. And sure enough, when we get there, and here's the difference. He's calm, and he starts asking me questions. That's the same question over and over. What happened? Where am I? What's going on? What happened? Where am I? What's going on? And within 30 seconds, he's screaming and crying. Within not literally to the second 30 seconds, but estimated. Basically, another 30 seconds, back to just being calm and not responding to anything. Another 30 seconds, hey, where am I? What happened? What's going on? Then you get the pattern. And it's a definitive pattern. It's like, now, I can't tell you it's every 30 seconds, but it's like, no, there's, there's a head injury. We need to get a, a helicopter now, blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's that. So when you have that experience, you can tell the difference between your kid just kind of freaking out and crying. But So she wasn't going to call the ambulance, right? She drove, I'm an hour and a half away. She drove me crazy. Flip that switch to where she's at my brother-in-law's house, which, and I'm at my office, which is five minutes from each other at this point in life. I'm five minutes away. I'm in a situation where I can't leave. They were, the office was great about family. They loved when the family came to visit. Whenever we had uh, like Christmas and, and Thanksgiving dinners that they provided, they'd say, invite your family to come up. They were huge on family. So if I had to go, look, I'll be back in a minute. One, I had the trust of the office. That said, if I'll be back in a minute, I don't explain. They're cool with it. 
they, I mean, everybody's like, oh, what happened? They want to know, but they're cool with it. Secondly, if I said, hey, something's going on with my family, I'll be back. There was times, there was a time when my wife got overwhelmed emotionally with two children, as you can be, especially if you don't control your own life. If you don't control your own life and go, this is who I am, I love you, I'm taking care of you, but you are not me. I have to take care of me too. You will lose your damn mind. And that's true no matter what. And one day, my wife, and we've had this long time. It's a long time past. She's not this way now. But for whatever reason, I knew this was going to be a problem. I talked to her over and over and over and over about it. But she was like, oh, the kid, the kids are my life. The kids are my No, they're not. Your life is your life. And sure enough, one day, the two is Crosby and Oakland. There was only two of them at the time. But they just kept, because they're kids and they're curious, they just want to eat what you're eating. And they were at that age. And she was, she was starving. She was trying to make herself a sandwich. And the kids took her sandwich. And it, was, it, it really wasn't about the sandwich, I know. But, and she could have made another one. She, just, she was emotionally drained. She was exhausted. She lost her damn mind. And she called me crying and, and having a fit. And, and at that time, she was having to be at my brother-in-law's two days a week. And this was one of those days. And she was having to go do that. And so I was like... You know, just go to your brothers. It'll be fine. And I fussed her. I was like, are you shitting me? I couldn't believe it. I was a bad husband. I was a really bad husband at this point. Because <laughs> I'm like, are you, are you shitting me? You're bigger than them. What do you mean they took your sandwich? It's not like they're in a goddamn gang and they have guns on you. They ask her a sandwich. You say no, and you eat your sandwich. What the fuck is wrong with you? Horrible father. Horrible, horrible husband. I I understand. I should have been like, and I, I became better instantly. But that was not the appropriate reaction at the time. I do understand that. So I, I said, all right, just, just go to your brother's. I'll come over. I'll help you. No, 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 no. I went to my boss and said, Hey, my wife's losing her mind. You know, she's at the emotional point where the kids are taking her food, which my boss, Barbara, who was an amazing woman. She was awesome. I loved her to death. She's laughed like, y'all are so crazy. Yeah. Go take the day, go help your wife. It's fine. And so I did, I went to my brother-in-law's house and i remember calling her down and she said oh no i'll be fine like no i'm gonna take the kids home i'm gonna take them home you're gonna be here by yourself give you a break and that helped so so that's how fast it was that's how good the office was about family stuff that's how close i was to it that i could get there in five minutes whatever so i'm in my office and at the time my brother-in-law had this big wooden desk that was in a certain place that was somewhat dangerous for kids to run around and where do these parents stop running? You need to stop running. Well, him and his cousin were just running circles in this house. And he ran into the corner of uh, the desk. I don't think he even broke the skin, honestly. I, I don't think he got hurt, hurt, but it, he cried and freaked my wife out. Five minutes away. Who did she call? Nine fucking one one is who she called. I'm like, oh my God, you were so backwards. I am here. I could literally come over and tell you it's fine. Calm you here down. Calm him down. And you call the ambulance. But when I'm an hour and a half away and you think he has a head injury, you don't call me. And she did. She felt stupid about it. And, of course, they offered to take her to the hospital. Blah, blah, blah. Well, she, she did recline. And she did. She felt really she was just stupid. I was like, are you kidding me? Oh, my God. So those are some of my paramedic stories and how I played in parenting. Now, how did my parenting play into my medicine I think it was always the attitude of I, I'm the boss, you know, definitely. I was on the truck long before I had kids, but after I had kids, I stayed on the truck for a while and even went back to it from time to time, even on the office job. It really played more into how I deal with people in general, but it was definitely, I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I think my inherent parenting skills that I had developed definitely on the truck going, no, no, no. Like that, I'm bigger than you. You know, it doesn't matter how needy, how want you want. You go into that that story of my wife with the small kids. They're not taking her food. She literally had to make the choice to hand it out and let them take a bite. That was it. They're not just coming up and stealing it from her. They're not little gremlins. You're definitely, like I said, they're not the gang. They're not the warriors where they're they're gonna take your shit. You know, they're not the jets and the sharks. Which is my favorite reference, by the way. If you get that. You got bonus rock god points because I love that stuff. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. Go look it up. Jets and the Sharks. Sharks and the Jets. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I just I just always had this inherent, no, 
I'm going to control you. Yes, you're a baby and you're needy. I have to take care of those needs. I'm not going to let you smash me in the face with a toy hammer. That happened with my son. I was sleeping on the chaise. He was watching Sesame Street. All of a sudden, I get woke up by being smacked in the face with a plastic hammer. And no words were said. I didn't yell or scream, but I could tell. I mean, I was furious. I mean, instant fury. And I looked at him, and I could tell he just kind of dropped the hammer and backed off and never had to say anything. He never did it again. <laughs> he was like, oh, fuck, what did I just do? Even at this toddler level that he was at. So, you know, beyond that is, no, this is my sandwich. No, this is, I've drink, they're, they're my children's entire lives of drinking coffee. So that's all they've ever known of me. Of course, what do they want to do? They want to try it. Ryland is now, he is about to be five and he wants to try every sauce that I have. Well, I eat hot stuff. I have hot barbecue sauce. Couple of different kinds sometimes. Uh, when I get Chinese food, I get the hot mustard. Now the hot mustard in the packs, fairly tame. You know, it's a it's a formula, right? It's the same formula every time. However, I am a huge fan of the restaurants that make their own mustard. And sometimes it's like, oh, they kind of missed the mark. Sometimes it's like, holy shit, this is burning my nose. And sometimes it's in between. But I love that. He even the other night we had uh, for my birthday we had Chinese food, Chinese dinner, and he's oh I want some of your sauce. I'm like no, this is the homemade stuff. I can never quite tell you. I was going to come out. I'm going to let you have it. But there are some times when I put a little hot sauce. I, look, I like Cholula, for the record. And or hot barbecue sauce. I like, uh, oh, what is it? It comes in like a glass shaped, like a whiskey flask. John something made a bottle of made barbecue. I mean, it's a huge, long title. Crap. I have to look at it now. I can't think of it. But it's this great title about he made uh, his own damn barbecue sauce or something like that. It's really good. Really, really good. And I like it. Anyway, I'll put a little bit of that on his plate, and he'll try it, and I'll make sure he has a drink, and I'll watch him. You know, I never want him to, to get caught off guard too much. But you can say no, and that's how patients are. Patients sometimes are children, and they will just push you just to see what they can get. And I dealt with a lot of that on the ambulance of, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm not. You need to calm down. And as I'm just being calm. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to yell at them for the most part. I'm not going to threaten them. No, you're going to calm down. Well, if you don't calm down, I'm going to mess up this IV that I'm trying to get for you so you can get the medicine you want. I'm not saying I won't give them the medicine, but, you know, you play and you use words, semantics. Uh, a lot of times, if somebody's showing their asses, they want something specific. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have a medical problem. It just means they're looking for something specific. So I'll play into that. If you keep jumping around and moving and this, I'm going to miss my IV and then you can't get your medicine. I'm going to have to poke you multiple. I don't want to poke you more than once. I would love just to poke you once be done so you can get what you need. But if you make me miss, I'm gonna have to do it. And they'll 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 call now. Like they'll be. <laughs> My favorites are the fake seizures where they're shaking and I, I, they can't hear me. But I'll say this: Oh man, y'all! I'll be quitty fingers talking to my partner. Oh man, you know I'm not sure if I can get this IV to because they're seizing. And, and and if I don't get this IV, I can't give them the medicine they need. All of a sudden, that one arm stops seizing, but the rest of them keeps moving. It's like yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> you know. And that's, that's, it's just managing people. And that's how I did. They just kind of intertwined both the, the children and, and the thing. Now, God, I could go on about the lessons I learned about myself for my children. I, I, I don't think I've ever shared it here and I don't have, I don't have the, it doesn't feel right to go into the full story, but there was a story with my son where he was crying in the back seat. There's a whole long version of this where I screwed up a whole lot of stuff. At the end, I yell at him. He's like, what do you want from me? I can't help you. And I realized at that moment, oh God, I got to fix some of my shit because he's crying because he should be crying. Not, you know, it, it was a, it was a moment and it helps you realize stuff about you. Now, here's the thing. One last thing I do want to talk about both in medicine and in parenting. One, people will tell you, you, you oh, you can't understand a, a paramedic situation until you're there. No, that's bullshit. You absolutely can't because you can relate it to something else in your life paramedics oh, man this is something i'm really focusing on with the ems underground show that i do paramedics tend to internalize and emts but paramedics because they have to carry the weight the paramedic is god on the truck you know it's people don't like me using that term because paragod is is a, a negative term for somebody who thinks they know everything and you can't tell them anything but the truth be told when it's you and your partner in the back of the truck your partner is typically not equal to your level legally speaking you're the motherfucker responsible period for this you and i use motherfucker intentionally because that's how i felt about it it was a negative thing is if 
anything goes wrong, if the medicine's wrong, if the patient goes south and they, they, and they sue me, it's me. It's me. It's not my company. It's not my partner. If my partner fucks something up. I'm still responsible. Now, legally, they may end up going after them, but I'm still caught in this mess. Well, you're the paramedic. You're the captain. You're responsible, whatever. Why, you know, that's how I always viewed it. So with that negative, I made it a positive. No, when it's this truck, and it helped so many times with criminals, people who are on drugs, people who the police had arrested, but something else was going on with them. I get in the back truck, I start talking to them. Oh, I'm not telling I'm like, look, man, you see these doors are shut? This is me and you. This is my world. Fuck the police. They have nothing to do with what's going on right now. Me and you, I want to make sure you're okay, that you're not going to die. I don't give a shit. You got a gun on you? I just want to know you're not going to pull it out and shoot me with it. That's all I care about. We're pals. We're buddies. I don't give a shit if you took all this cocaine. What I give a shit about is a cocaine might make your heart explode, so I just need to know about it so I don't do something wrong to make your heart explode. That's all. And it, it built a good relationship, and that's something else that people fail to take with them. But you internalize that because you have you carry the burden, but you carry too much of the burden. That's the same with parents. You feel like you carry the burden. Oh, I'm going to fuck my kid up. I can tell you clearly the same moment I had in the ambulance going, as a new paramedic going, oh, shit, this is my truck. And everybody looks to me. I, 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 oh, fuck. I had that moment with my kid. I was still religious. I still prayed a lot. Now, that's a whole different story about prayer. Don't get me wrong. I, please, we're not diving into that now. Just understand what I'm saying was I use prayer as a, oh, fuck me, help, which is stupid. That is not what it's. That, that prayer did not go to God. That prayer went, I don't want to deal with my shit. But I had that moment standing clearly in this, the way my house was built, in a very short hallway, and it's almost like an alcove where the the master bedroom door was there, and then there was a bathroom door, a kid's bedroom, and a kid's bedroom. It was kind of half, almost an octagon. It was, it was an interesting thing. and But it's a nice little area to stand in. And I put my son to bed one night, and not that anything was going wrong that I can remember at all. I just felt worthless and helpless because that's the messages I have. Nothing was going had. That's the messages I had. Let me be very clear about that. I was in the moment of the memory and said have. And in that moment, that's exactly what it was. I have those in this moment. I remember praying and quoting fingers. Oh, my God, help me never fuck up my kid. Oh, my God. That's bullshit. That is weak. And that is fear. And it did kill my mind for a while another reference uh <laughs> but because the truth was i was built to be a parent i'm a human being i have a brain i can learn from my experiences i can understand both as a parent and as a paramedic and i don't know which helped which one better but they both helped each other out going oh i i don't carry the burden for his choices I don't carry the burden for everything that happens on the truck. I am responsible for me and let me make me be the best person I can be for my son or for my patients. So I learned more medicine. I learned to let go of my prejudices that were taught into me. I learned to let go of, of anger, which took a hell of a lot longer. I still have some issues with it, but I learned to, one of the things that Mordant on Success Freaks did say, and it helped out, is, okay, if you take yourself out of this story and it's your friend telling you the exact same story, would you be angry about it? Well, typically the answer is, of course not. You know, if I, I just see Mike here on, on my Skype. If Mike, was, if Mike was telling me a story about his kid and he's furious about it, I'm going, but, but Mike, it's okay. One, you're okay. You're a good dad. You're fine. Two, here's kind of what they're really doing. And, and the anger you have, it's coming from something else in your life, some other reaction, because what they did is not that, you know, and we talk it out. So it's hard to do that to yourself. And I, I didn't know that message coming up. And I can't say I consciously do that to myself now. But what I can say is in that moment when I'm so terrified of fucking my son's life up, I was fucking his life up. I was over controlling. I was overbearing. I was overreactive. The things that were fucking, actively fucking my life up would then pass on to him. And again, not, no need to get into that story right this second. But that moment of, of fear on the truck is, oh, shit, what if I fuck up and I lose everything? Because that's, that's where your mind goes, legally speaking. I could lose my house. I could lose my livelihood. I could lose everything. You have to learn this is what I said before. If you can learn, life goes on. 
that will give you so much freedom. And I still work on, I still, I'm emphasizing that. I still work on that with my children. And I've had to have the conversation with Oakland going, you're the first. That means I'm going to fuck up with you first and I'm going to learn. And I can absolutely admit that when Oakland was, because Ryland's about to be five, when Oakland was about to be five, I was harsher and meaner to him than I am to his brother. And it was not intentional like, oh, fuck you, but I'm going to be nice to them. But I tell him to his face this stuff so he can learn and not make up his own burden, fake burden to carry. I tell it to him so that he understands I'm a human being. I'm doing the best I can. So this is part of me equipping you to be a better human being, to understand the reasonings. I never want to fuck up with Oakland and then make it better for everybody else. I want to get it right the first time. It doesn't always happen. And he understands that. And I explained that to him. And I did say, but there are times when I'm going to learn from them. I fucked up with them, but then you're going to get the benefit of it as well to get better. These are things I tried because here's the ultimate answer to how did Madison help me as a parent? How did being a parent help me in Madison? The ultimate thing I learned through that whole process and then other processes as well, we're all human beings. We're all human beings, including our own children. Our children, hear me, parents, our children are never a reflection on who we are. Now, yes, they will reflect who we are. They will do what we do. Oh, you just comp- you just compromise yourself. You just double standard. No, 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 no. Listen, 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 listen. Our children will go and make their own way in the world. And I don't understand some of the stuff my son does because there's certain aspects of me he has and certain ones he doesn't. He cannot tell a story to save his fucking life. Oakland, oh, my God. You cannot tell a goddamn story, and I'm on him all the time about that. But that's okay. Rylan can't Rylan will get down here in the studio and want to do a show and he can tell me a story about that show fine but you know there's other things he doesn't have my point is the best I can do is influence Oakland and empower him to make his own decisions and to accept those decisions if you'd asked me on the surface some of the haircuts he's had if I thought they'd be cool no I think they're horrible but I'm gonna let you make a decision And he makes a decision, and maybe it turns out to not be nearly as horrible as I thought it was going to be. That's been a lot of my lessons in life for parenting. That played in the medicine somewhat of let me relax, go, you know what? We're going to make a call. We're going to go do this. We're going to, um, instead of rushing into one hospital, we'll we'll go slowly to this other one. Whatever. What I realize is human beings are human beings. So the last thing I want to talk about really quick is in medicine, there, in emergency medicine, there's called non-emergency transport. And most paramedics, most EMTs get into it for the emergency side up, for the adrenaline, for the saving lives and helping people right now. When non-emergency transport is just that. You literally go pick them up because they need an ambulance for one reason or another. And the if you want to put a negative spin on it, the worst ones are the ones who don't really need anything. They just can't get into a car, right? Or they just don't have family to take them in the car. So their insurance company recommended our company, whatever. I worked for a private ambulance company for a long time. We did 911 a lot, but we also supplemented with non-emergency. And I had to take some. And this one medicine tip, this one thing changed before I had kids, which was good because it helped me understand how to change myself. And you'll get to see why in a second. But as an old lady, she had to go dialysis. She had to do it uh, twice a day. You know, we'd take her and then somebody else would go pick her up. So two trips a day, three days a week. So you knew most of the times you came in, you had to come in, check off your truck, go get her, take her over. You, you knew by lunchtime you had to. And for us lazy bastards who are working this slow area, who just wanted to sleep or just wanted to cook our dinner, or you know, we wanted to do our lives. Ah, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Ah, oh. And I had that attitude. And when I teched the back of it, there were times when I never even talked to her, this lady. She wasn't like she was aware. She was mostly sleeping. She was gray. Her skin was a, was a, a brownish shade of gray, but not vibrant, right? Not full of life. She was. She had been listed with dementia at one point. So I was like, well, she's not going to understand me. So I just sat there, never talked to her, filled out my paperwork. We got her there. It was a have to. It was an obligation. And that's a show I can do at some point about my issues with obligations. I hate them. I hate obligations. I hate, ugh. anyway, what I realized was during this time of transporting her and having a shit attitude, my grandmother who lived in Florida with my grandfather, uh, my grandfather tells a story. Uh, she was a diabetic. She was also had Alzheimer's 
And I'm not exactly sure. I think both things kicked in one morning hard. She had low blood sugar and she didn't remember who the hell she was or where she was. And she fell in the bathroom and broke her hip and lost her damn mind. And the paramedics came. They were really nice to her. And my grandfather said they, they were just, she was scratching out. She was punching. She was freaking out. And they never once got angry. They never once showed anything other than compassion and concern. And he told this great story about it. She also had to be transported from the hospital once she had healed up enough to rehab. To it was a it was a care home. I mean, there, a lot of rehab places are both. And she uh, had to take an ambulance in. And again, another great story. And I felt like shit because that was my family member. And strangers are super nice to her. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to change me. Fuck that. And I started talking to this old lady, not getting any response. But you start saying, hey, how are you doing? And just telling her stories, basically like I'm doing now, just talking to a microphone because I was talking to an unresponsive person, just talking to her. By the time she passed away, which was months later, I mean, I got my partner in on it. He saw what I was doing. He thought it was a good idea. Uh, we had a third rider at some point. She got in on it. We got some other trucks in on it. It's like, hey, pay attention. Just, just share. It'll change your view on it. At least it's not, oh, my God, I have to do this anymore. Because the phrase that I want you to hear is everybody needs help sometimes. Everybody needs help sometimes. It's not the greatest quote I've ever come up with. It wouldn't make for a great tattoo. It doesn't flow off the tongue, but it's true. And by the time she passed away, her skin color was vibrant and full of life. She was awake and talking to us, which were like, holy shit. You were supposed to be basically on death's doorstep, and now you're, now you're not. And, I mean, we celebrated her birthday with her. We knew if her session went long or sometimes we had a call. We couldn't go pick her up at time. She missed lunch at her rehab care home. And so we brought her lunch, you know, for – and we, we became a part of her life. And I saw the effect that energy has on people. Changing my attitude changed her and brought basically brought her back to life. And everybody else around her did the same thing. That – has played into how to deal with my own chicks. I realized I needed help sometimes that I didn't have all the answers to raise my kids that I, I couldn't carry every fake burden that there was there. If I just start putting things down and see what would happen. Oh, life went on and Oh, I didn't really need to carry this after all, but I realized that putting positive energy into my kids and into my relationship with my wife, instead of controlling or, or negative, cause not all control is negative but controlling or negative energy, yelling, it has changed everything. It's changed everything. And I find that when I'm getting angry, I mean, that that's, I don't have time to tell the story about why my son goes to public school when he was homeschooled to start with. But the bottom line was he and I were clashing so hard. I could not get through to him when other people could. And instead of taking it personal because of these lessons from medicine, instead of taking it personal, I went, I don't deserve to be angry and raging. You don't deserve to feel like shit and have me anger and rage at you and then feel helpless because you still don't understand the material. Neither one of us deserve that. We deserve a better, vibrant life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my hands off of this. And it was math specifically with him. And I'm going to take my hands off of this. And I'm going to let your mom help you as best she can because you have a different relationship. I'm going to let your online teacher help you as best she can. And then next year you can go to public school. Because you are responding to other people. And the fact of the matter is, it's not about me. It's not about me having being the greatest dad and the greatest teacher in the world. It's about you getting what you need. And so he goes to public school. And that because everybody needs help sometimes. I needed help reaching him. And now we have a much better relationship. Now we can talk about all kind of stuff. And I make sure to take him out. But anyway, I go on and on and on. Thank you, Laura DePooter, for sending that in. That was a great question. I love it. It... it it went different places, obviously. I, and that's my favorite thing. I don't know when I'll stop talking about it, but I'll stop talking about it eventually. But I love when you take me different places. I love when you give me an opportunity to explore lessons I've learned without understanding them sometimes. I love when you give me a chance to tell a story I haven't been able to tell. So please do that. Facebook.com forward slash rock out of podcasting. Bearcrawling at gmail.com is the email. And rock out of podcasting.com is the speak pipe. Get it in. Do it. We've got some more questions coming up. We, we want to hear from you. I want, I, I want to hear from you. Tell me how I'm affecting your life. Tell me that these stories matter. Not because I'm a, oh, I need a pat on the back. I'm going to do this show because it matters to me. But I would love to know how it affects you because sometimes there's things that I say that I don't think matter that matter to you. And there's sometimes I think 
man, that changed everybody's life. And, and it didn't. It was just for me. And that's fine. But I want to hear from you. Hit me back. I am Charles McFall, the Rock God of Podcasting. Thank you for listening. Now go out and make your own kick-ass stories. Yeah.